Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. This is the California Report magazine, and today we're going back in time to 1970, when this song called Free Bobby Now was recorded in San Jose. It was an anthem to Bobby Seale, who was a Black Panther Party leader and was locked up in jail at the time. This song was one of a handful recorded by the party's house band, The Lumpin', whose music was explosive. The band's mission was to spark social revolution through the Trojan horse of funk and soul. And they played packed concerts around California, New York, Philly, and the Midwest. Their militant agenda would put them up against the intertwined forces of white supremacy and racist police. But the band only lasted 11 months. I'm Sasha Coca, and today we're devoting our whole show to a documentary we first brought you last summer from reporter Peter Gilstrap. It originally aired on KCRW's Lost Notes, and it's about the rise and fall of the Lumpen, an unlikely R&B group born out of another period of social upheaval. We need join the same. We joined to be revolutionaries. We joined to make the revolution. We joined to, to be Panthers. Michael Torrance didn't join the Black Panthers to sing. He says the Lumpen weren't out to make hit records either. They were out to change American culture. In 1966, Huey Newton and Bobby Seale co-founded the Black Panther Party. They're both students at Merritt College in Oakland. Within a few years, the party offers educational programs, food service, free medical care, and drug rehab to the black community. And the Panthers lead the fight against rampant police brutality. By the end of the 60s, change is in the air and the Bay Area is ground zero. 
and Michael Torrance is a 21-year-old Black Panther. He's a true soldier, and he's dedicated to the cause. Police were riding, you know, four or five deep. If you were out selling your papers, they would come and harass you, snatch your papers, maybe arrest you, threaten you. But at the same time, there was a lot of energy. Um, and that's the best thing about it. You could really feel the energy, particularly among, you know, younger people, that we felt we could really make a change. Not only could we make a change, we were going to make a change. There was this commitment to die if necessary. Those papers are the weekly Bible of party information, a publication called The Black Panther. Wednesday night was distribution night where we would get out the paper. Everybody would come. That's James Mott, now known as Satura Ned. In 1970, he's newly arrived from the Sacramento chapter. All the future members of the Lumpen are in attendance that Wednesday night. Torrance, Mott, William Calhoun, and Clark Santa Rita Bailey. They all have musical backgrounds ranging from church choirs to pro-level experience, but when they meet, they're just loyal young soldiers taking orders along with everybody else. And on those distribution nights when various chapters would all come together in the Bay Area to get the paper out, we would sing. And we would sing at that point just doo-wop songs. So one night I went over there and they three of them were singing, so I joined in and we started harmonizing. We just blended in so cool. And then what we would begin to do was we just would put other words to the popular songs because we would be singing what we called revolutionary songs, things to you know, encourage us in the struggle. In terms of the lump, and it kind of grew out of that, just us singing together. Part of, I guess, the tradition of just singing while you work. It's a typical Wednesday night. The four Panthers are at the print shop, stacking and racking and harmonizing into the night. But this time, there's somebody new listening. Emery Douglas, the party's minister of culture. So after I got back to Central, Emery comes in and says, Hey, Brother Comrade Jane. I said, Yeah, Emery. He says, You know, everybody relates to music. I said, Yeah, Emery, they do. He said, You guys sound good. He said, We can create a group. And the group could be part of the Ministry of Culture, where we could be able to get that message out in the music. Oh, yeah. Well, that was from when I first heard them. Emery Douglas is the brilliant style guru and visual artist whose iconic posters and flyers helped brand the movement. Uh, I just made suggestions, possibly adding uh, some social justice context to the lyrics. At this point, Bobby Seale and Huey Newton are both behind bars. So Douglas approaches Panther's chief of staff, David Hilliard. He understands the value of spreading the word through music, and he greenlights the project. He also gives the group a name, The Lumpen. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the Black Panther Party very proudly presents The Lumpen! It's a play on Karl Marx's idea of the lumpen proletariat, the lower class that would rise up to crush the capitalist power structure. At the time the party was coming about, political education, political awareness was, was growing tremendously. Billy Jennings is a former Panther and the party's longtime historian. In 1968 alone, James Brown put out a song 
that really changed everything because black people prior to that time were referring to themselves as Negro. You know? James Brown came out and said, we're black and we're proud. And once that record came out, you can never go back and say you're a Negro. <laughs> you can never go back. Say it loud. James Brown couldn't have did that in 68 if there wasn't a group like the Black Panther Party that had set up a foundation of knowledge already. But there won't be no more. Won't be no more. There won't be no more. Won't be no more. Rats, dirt, and kids who are hungry. There won't be no It wasn't easy. It wasn't like, okay, guys, we started at nine, five o'clock. Your day was never ending. You might, if you were able to get some time, hey, look, we got 45 minutes to rehearse. Whatever rehearsal we would do, we would have to do that after whatever other assignments or duties we had. So we had to go sell the papers. We said we had to do the breakfast program. We'd have to do the garbage run. We'd have to do security. We'd have to do whatever it is that any other panther would do. From the Panthers' perspective, the Lumpen was not about show business. It was about contributing to the revolution. As a matter of fact, for us, it was a, a point of pride to prove, you know, that we are 100% Panthers. Second, for us, it was just political work. We never got paid. It was just, if this is how we can be helpful, if this is how we can be useful, if this will advance the cause, and this is what we'll do. Now, only a few months since they were harmonizing to the oldies at the printing plant, their orders are to get on stage and get to work. Educate the people, spread the word, and earn money for the party. The Lumpen assemble a six-piece interracial backing band from local players sympathetic to the cause. They're called the Freedom Messengers. And they're good. They're tight. It's a professional show on par with almost any act. They've got the energy of James Brown and the dance moves and harmonies of The Temptations. But the lyrics are all about what the Panthers are all about. And at that time, Bobby Seale had just been arrested in New Haven. And the first thing that we put together actually was Bobby Must Be Set Free. That song, titled Free Bobby Now, was recorded at a studio in San Jose in August of 1970. Bill Calhoun, the group's songwriter, thought the session was intended to be a demo, but the Panthers decided to release the single As Is, putting another one of Calhoun's songs, No More, on the flip side. The record was released on the Panthers' own Seize the Time label, with credit to Black Panther Party Productions. It was promoted in the party newspaper and sold at live shows and Panther events. Any profits were funneled straight back into the party. They took the craft seriously. 
That's Ricky Vincent. He's the author of Party Music, the inside story of the Black Panthers band and how black power transformed soul music. It's a subject he knows well. His mother was an early panther. People get ready as a train of coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on. When they did People Get Ready uh, by Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, they hit those notes that you had to hit that shows respect for those aspirations that were in that song in 1964-65. The Lumpen flipped the lyrics, obviously, and instead of saying, people get ready, there's a train a-coming, they said, people get ready, the revolutions come, right? You You don't need a ticket, you need a loaded gun. like, wait a minute, that is soul music the way it's supposed to be sung, but oh, those are not lyrics the way we've heard them before. The Lumpens start headlining their own shows. Their single isn't getting radio play. Free Bobby Now is considered just too controversial, but Word of mouth and constant promotion in the Panther newspaper are drawing crowds. The group are gigging weekly, doing benefits and playing college campuses up and down the West Coast. And when they're not headlining their own shows, they're on bills with the Grateful Dead, Carla Thomas, and Curtis Mayfield. In the winter of 1970, the band hits the road for a tour of the Midwest and the East Coast. The crowds are enthusiastic, but tension is in the air. And uh, I'll never forget this. David Levinson is the Freedom Messenger's 19-year-old sax player. After a show at the University of Minnesota, a snowstorm is kicking in. The band is packing up their gear when they're approached by members of the Black Student Union. They invited the, the, the Lumpen and the black members of the band to, to stay with them, but they, they didn't want the white members of the band, of which there were two of us. Oh, well, uh, who are those white guys? Excuse me? They're part of the Lumpin' Band. Well, you know, they can't stay. Well, he told them, look, you We're not staying if they're not staying. I said, this is a people's revolution, and these are our brothers that we stand behind. The Lumpin' are also in the crosshairs of the cops wherever they go. Late one night, after a college show in New Jersey, the police follow the band down an empty road heading out of town. Well, what they did was one car got in front of us, slowed down, and the other one got right behind us, and they waited for that real dark area to pull us over. This was part of the intimidation, right? In my forum, they was grinning. Sing for us. So we started singing, what was that song? As we stroll along together. We we sang it, we was in harmony. And who are these guys? What's all that in the back? They made them pull out all the band equipment and miss messing with them. Okay, you can load it all back up again. I'm gonna still kill you. This is the kind of language they tell us, right? And they would just to harass us to let us know we're watching you. We we know who you are. The Lumpen are battling another force besides the authorities, and it's coming from within the party. And there was people that wasn't into the Lumpen. They didn't think revolutionaries should be doing that kind of thing. But there were older people too. 
You know, they wasn't R&B people. They were blues people. And during that time, there was a difference. Most of the leadership of the party was Southern guys. Southern guys like blues. We are young guys. We like R&B. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I think some people may have thought of it as not being important, They're not understanding how, how important the culture was to getting the message out. But that didn't stop them. It's November 10th, 1970, at Merritt College in Oakland. It's the alma mater of Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, the birthplace of the Black Panther Party. Tonight, to a packed auditorium, the Lumpen will get the message out. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the Black Panther Party very proudly presents the Lumpin'! Bear in mind, this group has been together for less than a year. While well, almost everybody else in the San Francisco music scene has been getting high and jamming, the Lumpen have been working as full-time revolutionaries, pursued by the police and the FBI, and they still got this together. And tonight is special. The show is being recorded for a live album, and the group pulls out all the stops. Billy Jennings is there with his fist in the air. It was one of the best shows in my life because the audience was electrified. You know, once the lumping came on and the band started playing, you would hear them repeat something to the crowd and the crowd would throw it back. Like when they say all power to the people, the crowd say all power to the people with a force. And when they said death to the fascist pigs, it said death to the fascist pigs. If you just listen to the people's feedback alone, you can just get high on that. Yeah, they were killing me, boy, when I heard that. And even to this day, when I hear it, it just gives me that revolutionary enthusiasm, you know, because everybody was on the one that night. We were thinking about the same thing, you know, the revolution. The show was an undeniable success, but no album ever appeared. The master tapes made that night went missing, and have never been found. Some have suggested they were confiscated by the FBI. It's also possible they were mislabeled and disappeared in the chaos and discord of the time period. Or they could be decaying in an attic somewhere, long forgotten. Only a grainy, multi-generation cassette of the show has ever surfaced, but it captures the raw power of the band. As 1971 arrives, the Panther Party leadership is in chaos. Bobby Seale is still in prison in New Haven. Eldridge Cleaver, the Minister of Information, has fled to Algeria to escape an attempted murder charge on an Oakland cop. In a CBS interview with reporter Mike Wallace, Cleaver makes his feelings about violence against authority figures abundantly clear. 
When the American people hear that you want to shoot your way into the United States Senate, take off the head of a senator. And take off the head of Richard Nixon, you see? What does that mean? This is rhetoric? This is not rhetoric. In February of 71, Cleaver and Huey Newton appear on the live TV show AM San Francisco. We've got lots of things coming up here on AM this morning. Lots of things that you'll like to see, and we're looking forward to them too, right here on AM. Newton is recently out of prison after serving almost two years for manslaughter, and a serious falling out has been growing between the men. Now it's coming to a head. For this interview, though, neither one is actually in the studio. The show is broadcasting a live phone call. When AM San Francisco booked these men, the producers expected things might get heated. And they were right. You hear? Yeah. The intercommunication is expelled. That's not the best way to deal with that. Well, this is the way I'm going to deal with it. So what you just heard was two of the leaders of the Black Panther Party firing each other from the Black Panther Party on live TV. This bizarre public fight factionalizes the group, which falls completely into disarray. Outside my window, I hear a shotgun thing. This is the price that oppression brings. A victory for the people, a pig blood in the street. We've got to move now to make it all. There were some other things going on internally in terms of some of the things that was being done by Huey that I didn't agree with, I didn't join for. And it wasn't about the police. I was never scared about the police. It's a bad thing when you get more concerned about the people that you work with than you do with the cops. As the atmosphere within the party becomes more desperate, interest in the group from those in power dwindles to almost nothing. The Lumpen members are reassigned, they're taken off of R&B duty and put on security detail. Their days as a singing group are numbered. We had people who wanted to exercise their position as being in, in charge, all those things can play into it, petty, petty spitefulness, all that. We never thought of ourselves as anything other than Panthers. And the Lumpen was a cadre, a unit for a cultural purpose. You know, we loved it. We enjoyed it. But in the big picture, it's just another assignment. And so when the situation and circumstances change, then you move on to the next assignment. You know, And we didn't really have time to mourn about it because that's exactly what happened. On May 23, 1971 in Sacramento, the Lumpen play their final gig. A few days later, Bill Calhoun decides to leave the party completely. He was the group's songwriter. So, only 11 months after it began, the band is done. 
But the Panther Party is still Michael Torrance's life. It's all he's known since he was a teenager. You know, I was loyal to it. I had committed my life to it. I had every intention as far as I was concerned, at least at that point, that that was going to be my life. Which brings us to a night in 1973 at a bar in West Oakland. After five years in the Panthers, Torrance needs a break. He needs to take care of his young daughter. Upstairs in a side room, he talks to Panther leader Bobby Seale. So anyway, I go to Bobby uh, at his birthday party at the lamppost. And I sit down with him, you know, and I said, well, Chairman, uh, I have a daughter. She, she needs some support. Plus, I'm having these little anxiety attacks. It's affected my work. It's affected my effectiveness. I don't want to quit. I don't want to leave, but I need some time. Get myself back together, and then I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And Bobby was real cool with me on it, you know. I'm crying. I'm, I'm shedding tears. Torrance is leaving the bar when Huey Newton calls him back upstairs. He says the party will contribute $50 a month for Torrance's daughter's support. Then Newton puts a gun to Torrance's head and says this. Okay, then. We said $50. But you say, all power to the people. All power to the people. So I stuck around. And uh, about six months later, one of the guys from Chicago comes by and uh, he says, you still want to go? He says, because we can't afford to pay for your kid no more. You can go now. You can leave now. Okay. Well, all right, too. I'll tell the people now. And that's it. Michael Torrance is out of the Black Panthers. And it, and it was traumatic. What was traumatic for me was leaving. What was traumatic for me was what it had become. Did you feel betrayed by Yes. This? Absolutely. Absolutely. Betrayed. Angry. Bitter. Frustrated. Yes. Because the party was my world. That's what you're asking me. Who am I? I said, I'm a panther. You know, that's what I was, that who I was. And then to lose that, you know, and try to get back to adjusting out here, you know, and trying to get a job, you know, and what can I put on my resume? <laughs> where, 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 where you been the last five years? But Torrance did have something on his resume that worked outside of the revolution. The lumpen. It got him a job. Torrance wound up singing behind Marvin Gaye, and he appeared on the singer's 1974 album, Marvin Gaye Live. Torrance went on to write, produce, and sing for other artists for the rest of the 70s. From Watts to Brownsville, we find Though he parted ways with the Panthers almost 50 years ago, the whole experience is still very much a part of it. As far as the Black Panther Party is concerned, I don't regret anything. No, I wouldn't take that back for anything. Uh, we, we made some mistakes, yeah. But at the time, and for what it was, it was right on time. And uh, I was just glad to be a part of it. We never did it to get famous. We never did it to get rich. We did it because we really wanted to 
do something for our people and make a change. Yes, on our streets and Peter Gilstrap with his documentary about the Black Panther Party's house band, The Lumpin'. It originally aired on KCRW's show Lost Notes, and we first brought it to you on The California Report last summer. And hey, if you're a fan of the kinds of in-depth stories we bring you here on The California Report's weekly magazine, subscribe to our podcast. Just look for The Bear with the Sunset wherever you get your podcasts. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Our director is Susie Racho. This story was mixed by Rob Spate and Brendan Willard. Our team also includes Amanda Font and Hector Arsate. I'm Sasha Coca. I appreciate you listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.